You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all of this? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So guys, as a child of the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, um, I wrestled with the problem of evil. The problem of evil, the basic idea is something like this. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there so much evil in our world? I mean, growing up in a, in a time that was inundated with the O.J. Simpson trial, the Oklahoma City bombing, Columbine, and of course 9-11, I wrestled with the problem of evil because it really has us ask the question of, is God really good? Can he really be trusted, right? Should I put the full weight of my life 
in his hands, right? Now, you may be thinking, man, Chris, this sounds like this is going to be a really encouraging word. (laughs) And you're right, it will be. We just got to work a bit to actually get there. Um, I think Daniel 12, as a passage, calls us to look at one particular facet of the problem of evil. And it's the problem of justice or injustice. If God is just, how come there is so much injustice that people get, to, that people get away with, right? How, how do people get away with that type of injustice? We have to acknowledge that people do really evil things, amen, right? And as a consequence, guys, according to the, uh, according to the Atlantic in the most recent data available from the FBI, the clearance rate hit an all-time low of just over 50%. That means that half, about half of all the murders in the U.S. go unsolved. People simply get away with it. John Wesley believed that slavery and transatlantic slave trade was among the worst evils in human history, and I agree with him. But guess what? The majority, if not all, of slave traders and slave owners simply got away with it because of an evil, corrupt system. Right? So we have to ask, if God is so good, why do people get away with murder? If God is so just, why do generations get away with evils like slavery and human trafficking? I promise this word gets exciting at some point. But we, gotta, we just got to work, y'all. We just got to work. In Daniel 12, verse 6, you hear these words, How long? How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? How long seems to carry both waiting and expectation, right? There's a sense of, of, of pain and hope, right? Hope of, what God will current, or hope of what God will do, but pain over what currently is, right? This is, uh, it, it reminds us that in the injustice that we see, we live in a how long reality. We live in what scholars call the already not yet, right? Jesus has already come, and we still wait on his return when he'll make everything right. Okay, so that's the world that we live in. Pete Scazzera, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which Greg Clawson really likes, (laughs) there you go, tells the story of how back in the day, farmers in the upper Midwest, northern Midwest, would tie a rope from their houses to their barns. Because snowstorms could come up with such veracity and uh, um, such power that basically um, you, could, you could be blinded trying to see your way back from the barn to your house if you had to take care of the kids. Or the kids. Take, I hope you don't keep your kids in a barn. <laughs> However, I've been to somebody else's houses. I'm just, just kidding, just kidding. The point is this. You needed a rope that could guide you when you could not see the next step, right? When you couldn't see the next right step. I propose to you today that we all need a rope in this how long life. In a life that's filled with injustice, we need a rope that will keep us moving forward in the right path when life can seem so disorienting. And I want to propose to you that prophecy can be a strong, sanctifying rope that helps us to live faithfully in the present because we know how things will end. Okay? Friends, prophecy such as we see in Daniel is not meant to show us how to dodge suffering. Let me say that again. Prophecy is not meant 
to show us how to dodge suffering. It's not the thing of like, if I could just understand what this verse means, I could be in the Bahamas when the attack... Like, that's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is instead meant to be a rope that God uses to make us strong and to hold us to what is most true. God uses it to strengthen our vision of his eternal kingdom as we walk through this how-long world. That's what prophecy is. So, to build up to chapter 12, let's review where we've been. In chapter 10, Daniel kind of pulls the curtain back a bit. Right? And shows us that there is a spiritual battle that is far greater than we realize. Right? It kind of shows us what Paul teaches us later in Ephesians 6 that there is a battle that is beyond flesh and blood that perpetuates horrendous evil and injustice in our world. Right? That's where we live. It also shows us, hear me on this, it also shows us that there are more free wills in this world than just me and Jesus, which is a big deal. Because it shows us that if God is going to give us humans and angelic powers free will, he can't simply revoke it every time we choose to use it in a way that breaks his heart. Think about that. I used to tell the kids all the time, if I gave them $100, but then every time they chose to use it in a way that I didn't like, if I was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, at some point, I haven't really given them $100, Right? So the pain and the suffering and the injustice we see is the high price that we pay when we use our free will in a way that grieves God's heart. Then in chapter 11, an angel reveals to Daniel matters concerning the rise and the fall of several kings and kingdoms, including Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes, who proceeded to make pagan sacrifices in the, the, the Jewish temple an event that scripture would call the uh, abomination that leads to desolation. And then we finally get to some good news. Take a deep breath. Look at your neighbor and say, all right, we've made it to some good news. Praise God. There you go. Friends, in chapter 12, we're ultimately uh, informed that no one gets away with anything. Right? Right? Rulers who've been a big deal in this world, who've operated with injustice, will be brought low. It shows us the ultimate prophecy of resurrection and the judgment day. In some ways, this is the greatest prophecy because it it ensures that God will get the last word, that his will will be done. Now, let's just face it. Anytime the preacher wants to talk about judgment day, y'all are excited. Right, Mike Barr? Okay, there we go, there we go, that's good. Friends, I want to say this, Judgment Day gets a bad rap. It gets a bad rap, so I would like to propose to you today that we should rejoice and be glad because Judgment Day is coming. With that in mind, let's begin to dig around in this text a bit. Judgment Day, firstly, calls us to take sanctification seriously. Notice that in the end of chapter 11 and in chapter 12, the process of sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus is kind of peppered throughout the passage. In 11.35, we read, some of the wise will stumble, so they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. Again, in 12.10, we read, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. That sure sounds like sanctification. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. 
Daniel is revealing that those who are wise not only follow God themselves, but they give a rope of wisdom and understanding to others so that suffering can produce perseverance, and perseverance can produce character, and character can produce hope, right? Daniel is revealing, uh, well, actually, let me go to this first. Let me say a word about suffering. Suffering's not fun. Y'all are welcome. That was a brilliant word. I know that that really changed your life right there. What did you learn at church today, kids? Suffering's not fun. There you go. Fantastic. Yeah, suffering's not fun. Otherwise, it wouldn't be suffering. Amen? And friends, um, furthermore, most of the suffering that we experience in life, I don't think it comes from God. He's not the author of it. But here's the truth, God wastes nothing. God is much more concerned about the condition of your soul than about your temporary happiness. Right? Friends, consequently, he will use suffering, even suffering that he did not create, and hear me on this, even suffering that he hates for your betterment. He will use it to cleanse your soul of self-centeredness and idolatry. So the wise are the ones who remain faithful in the face of suffering and so allow God to redeem even the worst of suffering for their good, for their transformation into Christ's likeness. But then in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're told there will be a time of distress or suffering such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered I want you to underline verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Friends, these verses call us to realize that Judgment Day ensures us that no one gets away with anything. Judgment Day is simply the day when God brings all that truly is into the light. That's what Judgment Day is. He brings it into the light. So suddenly, no longer will there be any hiding or getting away with lies, abuse, idolatry, or murder. This is the only passage, by the way, in the Old Testament that speaks of both the resurrection and Judgment Day. And this is huge because I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute with me. If there is no life beyond this life, the murderer who does not get caught in this life gets away with it right? If there is no life beyond this life, the slave owner or slave trader who made a living off the backs of people over whom he had no rightful claim simply gets away with it, right? So the point is, guys, if on the other hand, both the righteous and the unrighteous will have to rise from the dead, if we will both have to give an account for what we've done, and if Excuse me, and if those who got away with things in this world, let me rephrase that a different way, those who have gotten away with things in this world, if they're going to have to rise and give an account before Jesus for what they've done, it means nobody gets away with anything. It also means that they'll rise to shame and everlasting contempt. That's a sobering word, right? It's a hard word. 
But then verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Listen to the good news of that. It means that, that Judgment Day ensures that every life lived in allegiance to King Jesus will be greatly rewarded. Right? This is good news. This means that slave or free, those who sought to walk with God and to help others do the same, their lives will shine for eternity. So for all of us who have placed our allegiance to King Jesus, the resurrection and the judgment day are the ultimate prophetic ropes of hope, right? Now you may be asking, why? Because you're an incredibly intelligent congregation. Don't tell all the other congregations, just you guys. You may be asking, Chris, I thought on Judgment Day that I was going to be judged based on Christ's righteousness, not based on my own. I thought I was going to be judged based on what Christ has done for me, not simply based on what I did. Has anybody ever heard that? That's exactly right. You will be, right? Eternally, if you surrender to Jesus as Lord and give him your allegiance, you will receive the life that he died to give to you. So you may be asking another logical question. Why? Again, because you guys are a really smart congregation. Don't tell all the other congregations. You might be asking this question. Does this mean that the murderer who repents on death row will receive the same reward in the life to come as the missionary who spent 40 years in the African bush proclaiming the gospel? The answer to that is no. Absolutely not. Think about it for a minute. Although we will both be saved by the blood of Christ alone, we will be rewarded based on what we've done in this life, right? Reinhold Niebuhr has a profound insight. He wrote, we are all equally sinners, but we are not all equally guilty. We are all equally sinners, but we are not all equally guilty. Now, you guys, kind of think with me on this. This is, a, this is pretty deep stuff. What this means is that we are all equally in a sinful state of having our souls bent back on ourselves. We, are, we, we have a naturally self-centered rather than God-centered curvature of the soul. So we are all in a deep need of the work of salvation to turn every aspect of our being from self to God. Right? We're all equally there. But we're not all equally guilty. Meaning that every day we can choose to live for God, to listen to His voice, to let Him direct us, and we will actually be part of the solution, not the problem. Amen? This means that we can become part of how God is wanting to redeem the world and advance His kingdom on the earth. So friends, rejoice and be glad because judgment day is coming. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice because your sins can be forgiven by the death of Jesus in your place, but also rejoice that your willingness to follow God's spirit and to live into the call to welcome and advance his kingdom here on the earth, rejoice that that will be rewarded, right? Translation, hear me on this, y'all. Judgment Day ensures that both what Christ has done and what you choose to do eternally matters. Right? They both matter. Judgment Day ensures 
that both matter. So with that in mind, I want to consider how we live this life in such a way that it will indeed matter for eternity. If you've been walking with us through the book of Daniel, you're probably asking, is my suffering about any more than my sanctification? Like, I'm, I'm happy that, it's, that, that God is using it to sanctify my soul, but does it have more, um, does it have more to play in this, in this thing that we call life than just that? If, you, if you've read with us through Daniel chapter 6, or excuse me, 3 and 6, you could be tempted to ask the question of, why doesn't God just do that all the time? Right In chapter 3, he shows up miraculously and um, saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Right In chapter 6, he sends an angel who delivers Daniel from the, the lion's den. Right. So why doesn't God do that all the time? Why do God's people actually suffer injustice? Why doesn't God spare them all the time? Why are people martyred? Why does Daniel actually tell us that many people will be martyred? Well, the truth is, um, unmerited suffering endured with godliness is how we embrace the cross. Let me say that again. Unmerited suffering endured with godliness is how we embrace the cross. To see this, let's look at two gardens. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was entrusted with paradise on earth, and he was only prohibited from eating from what tree? tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And the tempter showed up and and basically tempts Adam to distrust God. He says, um, you know, he wants him to believe that it would be better if he decided for himself what was good based on whether it made him happy. You don't need to trust and obey God. You need to take life, you need to take control. Run your life as you see fit. Does that sound familiar? That's right, you do you. Adam failed to trust God in the midst of the Garden of Eden, and our world fell into chaos, right? In another garden, in Gethsemane, which probably felt like hell on earth to the second Adam, Jesus chose to trust God and to say, not my will, but thine be done. And the choice to trust God, even though it led to a brutal scourging and then to the cross, what did it do? It began to turn the world right side up. So friends, in Adam, our world fell upside down because he distrusted God in the midst of paradise on earth. So in Jesus, our world is turned right side up by his willingness to trust God in the midst of hell on earth. So every time the people of God endure persecution and unjust suffering at the hands of evil men, and yet remain faithful to God. Every time God's people endure unmerited suffering with godliness, they embrace the cross, which gets connected to the cross of Christ, and guess what happens? Our world, a little more, gets turned right side up. Friends, the kingdom of God advances through the cross, right? It advances through the cross. Often the cross, however if we're honest, is a little more prominent in theory than in reality. Have y'all ever had these thoughts? You know, if I were a missionary in some, you know, difficult place, would I, would I proclaim Jesus as Lord with a gun held to my head? Anybody ever had those thoughts? Like, how would I handle it if I were under persecution? 
Missionary Carol Ward, who has been that type of a missionary. She's been in some of the most dangerous places in the world. She says that one time she told God, it would be my honor to lay my life down for you. And then God responded to her in a way that kind of makes me smile. He said, it's easier to be killed for me than to live for me every day. Think about that. Jesus said it like this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Friends, more than the mortal cross, it's better to consider self-denial in the daily cross. That's a better cross to consider. If you're in recovery or in certain life groups here at Mosaic, you are becoming more and more familiar with this idea of denying yourself because you're becoming more and more familiar with your character defects. Can I get an amen? That's right. Defects such as blaming and complaining and self-centeredness and always having to be right and finding fault and judgmentalism. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm really good at all of those. Again, not trying to impress you. Character defects are the false selves, right? They're, they're the false selves that Jesus calls us to deny. And why are we so good at them? Because we've been using them for a long time. Right at one point, they actually protected us. But now Jesus wants to be our guardian, right? He wants to be our shepherd. Friends, I learned early on, if I could simply judge the person who was criticizing me, I could turn pain into anger and therefore numb the pain, right? I learned if I gave in to always having to be right, that I could figure out a reason why the other person was always wrong, right? Friends, if we're honest, denying the false self, meaning denying using character defects and really trusting Jesus feels like a pretty vulnerable place. It's the way we take up the cross. But it's in that vulnerable place, it's in taking up the daily cross that God can work in us and through us, right? That's what we long for. You see, the opposite of a life led by our character defects is a life led by the Spirit, right? And a Spirit-led life creates alignment with the values of Judgment Day. With that in mind, I want you to look at verses five until the end of the chapter. It's kind of an odd scene. Daniel is by the river, and there are two men on either side of the river. And there's a man clothed in linen who's hovering over the waters. So here are a couple of interesting ideas. Firstly, the man being dressed in linen is probably a representation of holiness. It's probably what the linen means, is, is re represents holiness. Secondly, notice that the telling of his linen garments and his hovering over the waters is repeated twice, back to back, in verses 6 and 7. Pro tip, anytime a biblical writer uh, repeats something in close proximity, it's probably a pretty decent point that you need to pay attention to. It's not just background material, you need to think about it a bit. So let me ask you this. Does the picture of an angel clothed in holiness who's hovering over the waters, does it remind you of anything? Creation, right? Friends, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
In the ancient water, or excuse me, in the ancient world, water was a symbol of chaos. So what is the Holy Spirit doing at the creation? He's bringing order out of chaos, right? It seems that this angel clothed in holiness and hovering over the waters is doing a similar thing for Daniel, right? Daniel is aware that now that both the righteous and the wicked will have to give an account for what they've done. And so in the midst of this suffering of being in exile, the angel as a messenger of God is hovering over the waters and giving a word that brought order and peace into a season that must have felt chaotic, right? Friends, we have been given the privilege of not having an angel that hovers over the Savannah River, but having the Holy Spirit who hovers over our souls, right? And what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's bringing order out of chaos. When the Holy Spirit calls you to, to follow his lead rather than the, uh, the, the character defects that you're so used to in, in terms of how you operate with people around you, what is he doing? He's bringing order into a world. He's, he is turning the world right side up rather than upside down. He's bringing order out of chaos. So friends, a spirit-led life creates alignment with the values of judgment day. A spirit-led life is one that rightly aligns our lives with the end of all things. So as we close, I want to leave you with the best advice I've found for living a life that's worthy of rejoicing over in the prospect of Judgment Day. And that is to ask God to share his burdens with you. Ask God to share his burdens with you. This is a piece of sheer gold that I picked up from Carol Ward at New Room. New Room, uh, since New Room, I've been praying for God to share his burdens with me, and it has led to a deeper intimacy with the Father than I've experienced in a long time. You see, when you ask God to share his burdens with you, he may give you a scripture to pray over. He may, what he does for me often is he'll give me like a, a reference in my head and I'll turn to it and then I'll begin to just read over the scripture and I'll begin to get a picture of how God is wanting me to pray, how he's wanting me to intercede. For you, when, when you, when you pray for God to share his burdens with you, he may give you a specific person to pray for or he may give you a specific need in society that is desperate to see the kingdom of God break into. And so you just begin to pray that in, in accordance with the heart of God. Here's really what happens, guys. Praying for God to share his burdens with you will make space for deep intimacy between you and your father because you'll begin to get a deep sense of what concerns God's heart, what's really on his heart. And as you get in touch with God's heart, your heart will begin to align with his, right? This isn't me fixing myself. This isn't me changing myself. This isn't New Year's resolutions. No, no, no. It's simply um, as I ask him to give me his heart, my priorities change. The way I spend money will begin to change. Instead of wanting to spend it on trinkets, I'll want to give it to those in need or uh, spend it in a way that advances the kingdom, It'll reprioritize the way you spend your time. There will still be time for watching a movie with friends or playing games with the kids. But as God begins to grow your heart like his heart, you'll have a greater and greater desire to invest in people. 
and to help people come to follow Jesus. And you'll learn what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. As God gives you his heart, I, I, wanna, I want many of you to hear this because I recognize there's, when I look out, I see so many people that have served for so long. As God gives you his burden, as he gives you his heart, he will revitalize your heart for things that you're already doing, right? We've got grandparents in here who've been standing in the gap for, for their grandkids. We've got people who've been uh, working in Epic and in Kid City for a long time and people who've been leading life groups and leading free Tuesdays and holding on to people long past good sense. And I, after a while, you can begin to lose the luster of, uh, of just understanding the wonder of understanding what God is doing through you. When you begin to get God's heart again for the people you're discipling, man, it begins to refresh you. And it also begins to remind you that what has looked like a hidden work in this life will shine like the stars on judgment day so that we can rejoice and be glad. So friends, if you're living in an intimate and fruitful relationship with Jesus, rejoice and be glad in the midst of a how long world where there's tons of injustice. The resurrection and judgment day are coming. No one's gonna get away with anything and you will be blessed for your faithfulness. If on the other hand, you're living distant from God and distant from his purposes, repent so that the prospect of judgment day can bring you joy and peace. And for those of us who feel like we're somewhere in between, or maybe all of us, I wanna invite you to ask God to share his burdens with you. Ask him to show you the things that really matter to him and by grace they'll begin to really matter to you. Ask him to show you the people that really matter to him and by grace they'll begin to really matter to you. Ask him to supernaturally begin to share his burdens and by grace you will live a life that is more deeply led by his spirit, is more aligned with God's heart and will be of great worth and value in eternity. Rejoice and be glad. Judgment Day is coming. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you. Lord, I'm, I'm honored by the hearts that I stand in front of and, and I'm humbled. And Lord, I just recognize that pretty much all of us need a fresh revelation of the burdens of your heart. So Lord, I just ask you to give that to us by grace that we would care about what you care about. We would care about the people that you care about and that Lord, that also that the revelation of the resurrection, the revelation of the judgment day, the revelation of the restoration of King Jesus would begin to fascinate us and encourage us and strengthen us to live into that. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. 
visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.